Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, 100 Bible Verses Everyone Should Know by Heart, and Then Sings My Soul. His newest book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, is a biblical tour through American history and has just been released. Visit robertjmorgan.com for more details and for free downloads related to this resource, or order from your favorite online retailer. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello there, and welcome to my podcast series entitled, What's Bothering You? And Don't We Have a Lot to Be Bothered About? In addition to coronavirus, there are other plagues ravaging the United States of America, such as fear, worry, and anxiety. Even before the virus, our young people were especially vulnerable to a wide variety of anxiety disorders. Studies show that many children are simply riddled with worry because the supporting structures of their lives have collapsed. Teenagers are worried too. A psychologist that I read at San Diego State University said, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we have a mental health crisis among adolescents in the United States. Earlier this year, a Pew Research study found that 7 out of 10 American teenagers say that anxiety and depression are a growing and an urgent issue for them. And of course, Americans of all ages are facing stresses and problems beyond what they can handle, especially with their current medical and economic crises. There is a heavy load of burdens on our hearts. You may very well have a deep concern about something that goes beyond the current headlines. In this series of podcasts, I've wanted to show you a powerful remedy. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave his most definitive teaching on the subject of worry, and his words have reverberated through the centuries and have resonated in millions of hearts and minds, including my own. In the passage that we're coming to today in this episode, in the last half of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, I want to show you seven reasons why Jesus didn't worry and neither should you. Now, if you're rock climbing right now, just listen the best you can. But if you're sitting in your Adirondack chair, then turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. The passages we're going to investigate today begin in verse number 26 and go through 36. And these are the words of Jesus. He says in his Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? As we saw last week, Jesus tells us not to worry about our lives, and notice how emphatically he says it, Do not worry about your life. Listen to those words. And he gave the first reason. Our lives are more than food and beverage and clothing. 
In other words, we're likely to spend so much time worrying about food and beverages and clothing and the other things that we miss out on the greater blessings of life. Life is more than the accumulation of our stuff, and life is more than the assortment of whatever it is we may be worrying about. Sometimes when I become obsessed with some concern, it pushes all the other thoughts out of my mind. I become so preoccupied with my worry that I can't see the other 75 or 85 or 95 percent of my life that is unaffected by that concern. Jesus died and rose again to give us an abundant life, and his blessings are so omnipresent around us that we often don't take time even to notice them. Life is more than the things that preoccupy our anxious thoughts. That was the summary of last week's episode. Now let's go on to this famous verse number 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Here Jesus suggests another reason to shake off worry. He points to the birds. I'm almost certain our Lord pointed to a flock of birds as he spoke these words. Maybe he even held out his finger and a sparrow landed on it the way the dove landed on the finger of Noah during the receding ark. Have you ever seen little garden statues of St. Francis with the birds sitting on his finger? Well, I don't know, but I know when it comes to animals that God loves them. I've often thought I could easily preach a series of sermons or write a book on all of the animal preachers or heroes of the Bible. God created all of the animals on earth and in the sea and in the sky, and in the Bible how frequently he used them. Balaam's donkey, Jonah's whale, Peter's rooster. In the book of Proverbs, the Lord tells us to take care of our animals. In the book of Jonah, God said that he was concerned not only about the people in the city of Nineveh, but about the cattle. And we know that Jesus was a bird watcher. Maybe it was his hobby amid the hills and valleys of Galilee. Our Lord frequently mentioned birds in his teaching. For example, a little later in the same gospel in Matthew chapter 10, he said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The very images conveyed by the words of Jesus are so encouraging. Don't you find them that way? This is an unusually calming passage. The other day I was a little discouraged about something or another. I don't even now remember what it was. And there was a bright red cardinal up in the tree whistling, Cheer! 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 And it was like a little sermon to me. But you know, there is something even deeper in these verses. Let's probe it. There is a hierarchy in the creation of God. Every living thing is precious, but not every living thing is ranked at the same level in the creation. There is a chain of command. There are various levels on the biological scale. There is an order to the creation. At the very top of all reality are the only non-created entities in the universe, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what the creation is, it is everything except for Almighty God. Beneath God 
there are angels in their various ranks. Beneath the angels are human beings. Now, how do I know this? What makes me think there's a hierarchy and that angels are ranked higher than humans? Well, it's because the Bible says so. Look at Psalm number 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? And look down at verse 5, Psalm 8, 5. You have made them, human beings, a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and all of the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea, all the things that swim in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, did you see what that psalm says? It says it quite clearly. The Lord, our Lord, is the most excellent entity of all. He made the angels. He made humans a little lower than the angels. And he made the flocks and the herds and the animals and the birds and the fish a little lower than human beings. So there is some kind of ranking to the creation. I don't think that means that one thing is necessarily more precious than another. It simply implies organization. In a home, the parents are at a higher level of authority than the preschoolers, but that doesn't mean they are not equally important. God is a God of order and of organization. He groups things together in systems that operate with harmony, and for our good. So, in some way, there's a framework or structure that has an order to it. God and the angels in their various ranks, and humans and animals and plants and so forth. You know, there is something even more amazing about that. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer quotes Psalm 8, and he makes an astounding statement. This is the mystery of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was at the very top of the hierarchy and becoming a man, dropped down in the ranking and became a little lower than the angels he had created. He descended down to the level of humans. But after his resurrection, he was crowned with glory and honor and he resumed his place on the throne and the fullness of his glory. Therefore, Philippians chapter 2 says, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there's a hierarchy to the creation. God, angels, humans, animals, and plants, the grass of the field. So this is what Jesus I think, is saying. If your Heavenly Father takes care of all of the orders of creation beneath you, lower than you, all of the birds, the animals, the fish, the flowers, all of creation, don't you think He will then also take care of you? If He takes care of His lower creation, it's only logical He will take care of of his higher creation, 
He will take care of you. Consider the birds. They don't sow or toil or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Will he not much more feed and take care of you? You know, there is something else, too. About 10 years ago, two scientists decided to do the impossible, and that is to try to calculate the number of birds in the world, the total bird population on Earth. Using available data and mathematical algorithms, they concluded there are approximately 400 billion birds. 400 billion birds. That means, if you do the arithmetic, there are about 60 birds for every person. In other words, God created 60 birds to sing for you every morning. You have your own choir of 60 birds to sing to you from the trees and the shrubs and the sky and the clouds reminding you of the Father's care. They're a vital part of God's creation, and He cares for each one of them, from the mighty eagle to the tiny sparrows, from the aggressive bluebirds and mockingbirds, to the cooing dove and that ridiculous ostrich, to the wise old owl. The Lord God made them all, and there's a sermon in every song. Every day we have the skies filled with 400 billion little masterpieces of creation flapping and soaring and flying through the clouds and singing a message that God cares for his creation. He cares for me. And he cares for you. And he says to us, cheer, cheer, cheer. As an old hymn says, if his eye is on the sparrow, we know that he cares for us. So the first reason to break free from the worry cycle, according to Jesus in Matthew 6, is because life is more than the accumulation of the things we worry about. The second reason is that you are more valuable to God than all the rest of his creation. Now let's go on to the third reason and pick up our passage again in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And in verse 27, which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Now, this is a rhetorical question. Some translations say, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single inch to your height? The Greek word here was used to convey distance of either height or time, a little bit taller or a little bit longer. Most commentators suggest Jesus was speaking in terms of time. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to his life? And the answer is no. Anxiety, fear, and worry have a debilitating effect on our bodies. They cause our brains to release stress hormones on a regular basis, which, if sustained, can cause all kinds of problems for us, as I well know. Blood pressure, heart disease, digestive problems, and a dozen more. There have been a few times in my life when I was so worried I thought I might die on the spot. And some people do. Intense worry can bring on a stroke or a heart attack. Worry can shorten your life, and that's the point Jesus was making. Worry does not extend your life by even one hour. It is a worthless 
exercise. And yet I found for me there were times when I was terribly worried. And when I tried to put it aside, I actually felt guilty. Do you know that? Do you ever have that kind of feeling? Do you ever have something and you feel like you need to worry about it? You should worry about it. There have been times when I felt I was facing a situation that demanded worry. Well, gradually, I've learned there's a fine line between concern, genuine concern, and worry. We should be concerned about things that ought to concern us. Jesus was concerned about many matters. He didn't shake them off or shrug them off or take them lightly. They were on his heart. He was concerned. He prayed about them. He spoke about them. He thought about them. But he didn't worry about them. So what then is the difference between concern and worry? This is one of the greatest lessons I've ever come to see. How do we know when we've crossed the line from concern to worry? It is a matter of debilitation. Debilitation. Concern is deliberating. We think and pray through our problems. But worry is debilitating. When your concern becomes debilitating to you, you've crossed the border into anxiety, and that is self-destructive. Godly, wise, trusting concern may help a situation, but anxiety doesn't do any good. It doesn't increase your life or anybody else's life by a single hour. Now, if Jesus had stopped his discussion of anxiety and worry at that point, we would already have a wonderful set of truths to help us, but there's more. He's only midway through his teaching on this subject. Let me show you the principle, which is number four in my list that I'm giving you, and it's in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith, he adds. Now, if there are 400 billion birds, I can't imagine how many flowers and buds and blossoms there are, but each one is showing us that our God is an artist, a seamstress, a designer, a tailor, a clothier. He garbs his creation with colors and textures and with beauty indescribable. Take time to look at the flowers at your feet. And notice these words. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, Jesus didn't need to add that last phrase. He hadn't said it earlier about the birds, but now he does, and it's important. It's the next principle. What is worry? Let me give you a definition. Worry is discounting God's promises, and doubting his goodness. Worry betrays doubt and unbelief. Worry belongs to those of little faith. In fact, worry questions everything about all of God's attributes. Think about that. 
Theologians use the word attributes to describe the qualities and the characteristics of God. A spirit of worry discounts all his attributes. For example, it discounts his omniscience because it doubts if God really knows what's going on. It discounts his wisdom because it questions whether he knows how to really handle things. It discounts his omnipresence because it questions whether he is really near. It discounts his power because it wonders if God really has the ability to manage this crisis. It discounts his faithfulness because it doubts whether he will keep his promises. It discounts his love because it makes us think that he is not working for our good. It discounts his justice because it wonders whether God will really do the right thing. So let's sum it up here. Are you having a little talk with Jesus Christ and he asks you what's bothering you and you tell him? Well, here's his response. Do not worry about your life. Your life is rich and full of blessings and it's much more than the accumulation of the things you're worried about. And secondly, if God cares for all of the creation beneath you, it's only logical he'll care for you. And third, worry does no good. It can't lengthen anyone's life by a single hour. And fourthly, all anxiety and worry, all they do is to discount the attributes of God himself. I just look at that and I say, wow. But you know, there's more to come. Jesus has more to say in this paragraph. And so I hope you'll join me next week and we'll continue on with our study of Matthew chapter 6. And in the meantime, please pass this message along to others. You can access this entire series of podcasts by visiting my website at robertjmorgan.com slash podcast. While you're there on the website, check out my book, Worry Less and Live More, which is on this same subject, along with the other resources we have. I'm really gratified that you've tuned into this podcast. Thank you for that. It was produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media, edited by Elijah Rowe, music by Jordan Davis. This is Robert J. Morgan. Thank you so much for listening.